Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 60 is an interview with Andy Blow. Andy is a sports scientist with a degree in sports and exercise science from the University of Bath. An expert in sweat, dehydration and cramping, Andy previously worked as the team sports scientist for the Benetton and Renault Formula One teams and remains an advisor to the Porsche Human Performance Centre. An elite level triathlete in his younger days, Andy has finished in the top 10 of Ironman and 70.3 races, as well as winning an Xterra world title. It was Andy's own struggles with cramp and hydration issues that led him to specialising in electrolyte replenishment and finding precision hydration. Andy is a leading figure in the world of sports hydration and has worked alongside other top sports scientists to co-author a number of studies and books. Do you have injuries or niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Running is meant to be an enjoyable, yes, even when you're doing speed work and stress relieving activity, but it's not when it hurts for all the wrong reasons. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you achieve the results you want and are capable of. So head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram at Health High Performance. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Rating, reviewing and sharing helps more people find it and grows the audience, which all helps when I'm contacting people to be interviewed. You can also go to my YouTube channel under Isabel Ross to see the video recordings of the podcast. Please do subscribe. Make sure you check out the show notes for the links to the articles we talk about in this podcast and for a 15% discount on precision hydration products. I've tried them and I have to say I really like them. The taste is not overpowering, which to me is super important. There is also a link in the show notes to a book a free video chat with one of the precision hydration team about your hydration issues. Enjoy the interview with Andy. Hi, Andy, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hi, Izzy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Now, can you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself, your athletic background, and how your athletic part of your athletic background motivated you to start with um, precision hydration? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's an important part of it for me, really, because mm. a lot of what we do with precision hydration now is, is based on what I learned solving problems for myself as an athlete, because I was a competitive triathlete. Uh, back in the late 90s and the early 2000s and when I moved up from short course racing to long course stuff I had quite high expectations of doing really well and then sort of came crashing back down to earth as soon as I did my first Ironman which was in Switzerland in 2000 and it was very very hot and my performance was awful and I was cramping and and um, walking on the run and generally hating life and you know that that kind of repeated that was a pattern that repeated itself in lots of long hot races for me and it took it took me many years to figure out that it was to do with you know hydration how much I was sweating how much electrolyte I was losing and that I was just getting all of that completely wrong and and that was the stimulus really to sort of look into all of this and, and get started with precision hydration. Now when you were doing those races and um, did you realize at first that's what the problem was or were you starting trying to look down different avenues trying to solve that problem i think i was looking at it from all sorts of angles and i had an inclination it was something to do with um, hydration and sweating because it was always pretty obvious that i had a high sweat rate i would i am that that guy that's got a soaking wet t-shirt after a few minutes of running or you know i've, I've rusted through loads of bikes 
stems on my turbo trainer because oh, really? I just pour with sweat. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, so I was always pretty clued into the fact that maybe hydration was an issue for me, but, but sort of growing up in sport and studying sport in the 1990s, the prevailing wisdom in general was that drinking more was better because dehydration was a big problem. And clearly what was happening for me a lot of the time was I was actually over drinking, you know, in trying to overcompensate for what I was losing in fluid loss. And, and at the same time, not really fully cognizant about the fact that I was losing a lot of electrolytes in sweat and not replacing those. So it was probably a, it was probably a case of you know, imbalance for me as much as anything else. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And um, it's kind of almost gone full circle from where you said that it used to be the focus was on drinking, you know, a lot is now, you know, with the Timothy Noakes idea of drinking to thirst. Um, yeah. and, and certainly most athletes I know, and I've been guilty of this in the past too, is just going into a race and thinking, I'll just drink whatever and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's the viewpoint on that, on that situation now? Well, like you say, historically, things have been very different. It, it sort of, um, it was the case that many, many years ago, athletes were advised to drink very little or nothing during competition. Mm. It was almost seen as like a weakness if you, if you drank and you should try and minimize it and you had to tough it out. And that was, that was probably the case right up until the 50s, 60s, maybe even the 1970s. And then in the 80s, things started to change and there was this big amount of research done in sports hydration a lot of it led by the Gatorade Sports Science Institute and a lot of the evidence started to point to the fact that obviously at first if you gave athletes more to drink if you didn't mm. make them abstain from fluids then their performances improved which is probably you know dare I say it a little bit obvious and quite you know quite basic that if you if you force athletes to run long distances or cycle a long way without drinking they're probably going to suffer at some point but then what happened was that that kind of got extrapolated and and you mentioned Tim Noakes and his argument is that that got blown out of proportion because the sports drink industry came along and sort of grew up and and it it was in it it was and is in their interest to promote the fact that dehydration is bad and that drinking lots of sports drinks is good and I think he he makes a very valid point that the science was probably a little bit misinterpreted and marketing messages got layered over the top of it and we started to get this this thing where hydration was the be all and end all and that if you weren't drinking loads then that was going to be problematic and as I say when when I studied sports science in the 90s the prevailing message was drink 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 you know drink basically as much as you can and there was no there was no sort of ceiling on that necessarily, or it didn't appear that there was, it was that the underlying message was to drink more and that would, that would be better for you. And of course, what then started happening as, as notes pointed out was that people started getting hyponatremia in races, mm. which is and hyponatremia is where you dilute the salts down in your blood to such an extent that you cause a cascade of other catastrophic problems. And quite often, you know, you start off feeling just a bit ill and headachey and lethargic and, uh, maybe losing concert, concentration and coordination, but that can that can progress, and and sometimes people actually die from hyponatremia because their brain absorbs so much water it swells up, and and crushes on the inside of the skull, and you get real devastating problems. So, it is a nasty thing. And and what Noakes did brilliantly was highlight this problem. He did a lot of research in that area and sort of promoted the idea that actually, if we're a bit more sensible and just listen to our bodies and drink when we're thirsty, then we won't get hyponatremia. 
because the way thirst works in the body is predominantly for athletes when you sweat you sweat out a lot of water and some electrolytes but you sweat out less electrolytes than are in your bloodstream so you basically lose more water than salts and so as you sweat your blood gradually becomes more concentrated so the salt levels relatively in your blood rise and then you drink a little bit it dilutes it back down and that's it's that rising salt level in your blood that drives thirst so the theory therefore is if you drink when you're thirsty you'll continue to replenish and you'll be fine and and i have to say for the majority of the time certainly for in day-to-day life for most athletes doing short events or not training very much that's really great advice it's adequate advice you know you can learn to listen to your body Mm. tune into it like you can with learning how to pace yourself or learning you know when you're feeling an injury coming on you just tune into your body and you respond appropriately by drinking where that advice I think though falls down a little bit is when you start to get into longer and hotter events, when the salt loss and the, the electrolyte loss in sweat, if it's not compensated for in either what you're drinking or what you're eating alongside fluids, means that eventually you'll either dilute the blood or your blood volume will contract so much and you'll get so dehydrated that your performance starts to suffer. And so I think that where the over, where we've gone from a very simple we've gone from a simple message of don't drink anything to a simple mm. message of just um, drink as much as you can to this other like overly simple message of just drink when you're thirsty and the, the just drink when you're thirsty one has some merit but it's, it's not the be all and end all because especially when we're talking about the world of ultras and marathons mm. and Ironman triathlons and things there's, there's a very strong case, I think, for having a more strategic approach and understanding a little bit more about electrolyte loss when it comes to hydration. So um, do you believe that athletes should have a, a hydration plan just like they have a pacing plan and a food plan and that sort of thing, nutrition plan? I certainly do for longer and hotter races, and I, mm. but I don't think it's necessarily a plan that needs to be very, very rigid. I think what they... what what most athletes benefit from is understanding roughly how much sweat they're going to lose per hour during an event, which is a very easy test to do. There's actually a blog on our website. You can click into and download a spreadsheet to put your details and you basically weigh yourself before and after some runs and work out roughly what your sweat rate is. And what that helps you to do is calibrate the total volume of fluid that you might be losing. The other thing to understand is having appreciation of how much electrolyte you're losing in your sweat because that, that varies about tenfold between people. It's quite stable within an individual, but the variance between people is massive. And I learned the hard way about that because as well as having a high sweat rate, my sodium levels in my sweat are really, really high. I lose about 1.8 grams of sodium per liter of sweat. Oh, wow. Some people lose as little as 200 milligrams in every liter. So they're like nine times less than I am. And we see that whole range. The highest person we've ever tested lost over 2,000 milligrams of sodium in a litre of sweat. So everyone, if you just have it, and and the the good thing about this is you don't need to understand necessarily the exact number that you lose. You just need to appreciate whether you're someone who loses a little bit, a sort of normal amount, a high amount, or a really high amount. And then how do people know how much they lose without getting a test, for instance? Yeah, it's a good question. The I think if athletes have done a lot of a lot of training and competing in the heat, if they lose a lot of salt, they often have an inclination that they do. For me, it was like I mean, a black running hat is a great thing to look at because if you sweat, if you sweat out a lot of salt, if you're wearing black clothing, you'll often see white 
salt stains on it, like tide marks. And I'm sure you've seen those on people's kit and on their packs in in long races. Um, You'll find that if your sweat's very salty, it'll sting in your eyes, you know, and feel. And if it drips, you know, down your your lips into your mouth, it will taste very salty. So if if you exhibit some of those signs, as well as maybe just generally feeling a bit crappy in the heat, maybe like I was underperforming compared with your fitness level when it's very, very hot. Lots of those things can be signs that you're losing a bit more salt than average. And then you, you can, I mean, one of the things that we do as a company is obviously offer sweat testing so people can test their sweat and get an accurate example, uh, get sorry, an accurate answer. But, but even if, um, even if you can't get it tested, if you play around with different concentrations of, electrolytes in in your drinks or with your drinks you can very much trial and error your way to figuring out what kind of ratio works for you and then when you that means when you go into a race your your plan is not like a plan which you're going to tick off you know minute by minute hour by hour exactly how many milliliters of fluid and grams of sodium but it it means that you've got a ballpark for what you should be roughly taking per hour based on past experience yeah i mean yeah things always happen in races that can change it, but at least you've got a sort of a guideline, I guess. Yeah. Cause I, I was actually listening the other day to your podcast with um, Ricardo Costa. Who oh, yeah. You talked a lot about nutrition and the individual variants in that. And that really struck a chord with me because I remember you asking him a question about, I've done this in one race in yeah. nutrition and then I do the same thing in another race and it doesn't, it doesn't work the same. And that's the intriguing thing about sport and races is although yeah. they're kind of similar often they're not exactly yeah. the same and we we classically see that with athletes when you go from say competing through the through the winter and then the first kind of big race of the summer comes along and you're not really acclimated to the heat and the weather's maybe maybe you get unlucky and there's a bit of a spike in temperature and it's a lot hotter than it has been it's a, it's quite hard to sometimes adjust your nutrition hydration plan if you've not got a lot of experience to draw on because everything you've just done in the last six or eight weeks building up in training is now going to need to change a bit so it's kind of it's having those parameters in your head okay roughly how many milliliters of fluid an hour can i generally cope with or how how many do i need how many milligrams of sodium and then what i talk to athletes all the time about is keeping this kind of mental ledger in a race of looking back over the last hour or two and thinking how much have i taken or how Mm. much have i drunk because if you start, if your performance starts to dip, you can then go back and retrospectively analyze in your head. Okay. Well, I think actually I've been underdoing the fluid, um, yeah. you know, cause I was, I should have been drinking normally about 700 milliliters an hour and I've only been doing three or 400. But the thing is, if you if you think you should have been drinking about 700 and you've already been doing 900, yeah. putting more fluid in is probably not a good idea. And that was the mistake that I classically made in a race was as soon as I started feeling crappy, be like more fluid, more calories. And you just keep piling it in. And that, that can be a real issue. GI upset, you know, hyponatremia. You've just got to be sensitive to the body and understand that more is not always better. Yeah. And, um, pardon me. So, um, what's the difference then with, um, your products that, um, makes it, you know, because just pouring more water in, like you said, can create more problems. And um, some of the Gatorade drinks, well, certainly I, I've had them previously and they've just made me feel sick. So what are the differences with, with your products then? Well, sports drinks, when they first came out 
in the 80s and 90s were designed usually to be what's called isotonic so mm. isotonic means they have a similar thickness a similar density to your to your blood with the idea being that you were trying to replace with three things with a sports drink fluids that you lose in sweat calories in the form of carbohydrates and some salts in term in, in terms of electrolytes and so a typical sports drink is usually about six to seven percent carbohydrate in solution which makes it reasonably syrupy they, they usually have about four or four to six hundred milligrams of sodium per liter and then um, obviously the, the volume of fluid is dictated by the amount yeah. that you drink but but basically that makes them a kind of we, we call them like a jack of all trades product. They're trying to replace calories, fluids, and electrolytes all in yeah. one. And in certain circumstances, they can work quite well. But what, what we try to do in, for people, especially in hotter climates or doing longer races, is look at, look at electrolyte need, needs on an individual basis. The, the strongest drink that we make is called pH 1500. And that contains 1500 milligrams of sodium per liter. So it's about three times the strength of like a, a standard isotonic drink. But rather than having lots and lots of carbohydrate in it, we, we make one which has no carbohydrates at all, or we make another one which has a very small amount of carbohydrate. So it's about a 2.9% solution. And they're what's called hypotonic. So their tonicity, their thickness is lower than that of your blood, which means that even if you're drinking quite large quantities of them, they, they tend to move through the stomach into the gut and into the bloodstream a lot faster, a lot, a lot easier. So you get less risk of that GI distress. Yeah. So that and, and and then the other drinks that we make are of varying strengths of electrolytes. So we basically make a 500 milligram strength, a thousand milligram strength, and a 1500. And the key thing then is kind of matching the closest fit to you as an individual based on your sweat rate, your sweat sodium concentration, and and probably the duration of the event as well. Yeah, and and like you said, you can estimate all that sort of stuff from doing the sweat testing, uh, filling the spreadsheet out. And would you recommend um, doing that one over a number of different runs under a variety of different conditions and that sort of thing? Yeah, always, if you can, because the more data you can build up there, we're not looking, again, we're not looking for an exact figure. It's, it's sort of, you know, you go out and do a run on a hot day at a set pace and then run at the same pace on a cold day, you'll see mm. the variance, you'll see the difference. And that, and just by building up a database of that and then comparing that to what the, the normal rates are you can start to figure out if you're someone who's lower on the scale medium or high for as, as an example it's quite often quoted that an average kind of uh, adult human sweat rate during uh, endurance exercise is about one liter per hour yeah. but the range around that figure is huge the average might be about one liter and i don't think that's probably far off the mark but you will definitely see people in cold conditions who are losing a negligible amount amount of fluid per hour and we've seen athletes losing over three liters an hour in hot conditions yeah. so that that average is kind of useful as a guide but what it what it is useless for is if you take that average and say well I'll, i reckon i'm about average and actually you're up at 2.5 liters an hour yeah then mm. um it there's a i can't remember who said it but there was a, a quote that someone shared with me a little while ago about the the guy whose uh, whose average temperature is like is pretty good, but he's got his head in a fridge and his feet are in the oven. And you sort of, that, that, that describes it really well because yeah. the, although the average is the average, the extremes are quite wide. And, and what you've got to try to understand is whether you're someone who sits close to one end or the other. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Now, um, when we're hydrating during an event, are we trying to replace everything that we've lost? Almost, almost certainly not. I would say that used to be the. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you sweat yeah. one liter per hour, that you you would in, intuitively think, well, I'll put one liter per hour back in, and that mm. will I'll be in equilibrium. But generally, when studies have been done on large groups of athletes especially successful athletes doing well in endurance events because we hopefully start those races really well hydrated we do have an amount of dehydration that we can tolerate and again this is a huge point of contention and argument between sports scientists but some people say your performance will start to suffer after one or two percent of body weight loss other data suggests that elite marathon runners can finish races six, seven or 8% dehydrated with no sign in performance decrement. I, I would say that generally, you know, somewhere in the middle ground seems to be relatively true for most people. You know, if you are much more than two or 3% dehydrated, you're probably going to start to feel it and start to suffer. But really what it comes down to is that is that is making sure that you're getting enough fluid in to mitigate what you're losing, but definitely not aiming for hundred percent losses yeah. and actually that's work. where the tim noakes thing comes comes back yeah. in mm. yeah oh, no that's sorry fair i enough. lost you a second oh uh, yeah no no i was saying it would be hard work to to fully replace all of the liquids anyway <clears throat> absolutely yeah and and they do we do see studies that demonstrate if people maintain their body weight at the end of a race or even sometimes gain weight during mm. an ultra or an ironman they're the ones that are susceptible to hypernatremia and tend not to perform very well as yeah. well so i think a, a level of dehydration is is very much sort of almost necessary for top performance if you see what I mean. well and often as um it, when you come into a race you're fully stocked up with every everything you know fully loaded with you know you've eaten plenty you've drunk plenty so you're going to tend to lose something anyway aren't you yeah definitely for when, whenever i've stood on the start line of an ultra or an ironman or something i've tended to be a kilo or two heavier mm than I was in the preceding week because I've had all that extra carbohydrate, extra salt, extra fluid. And you want to start with that reserve to burn off. So yeah, you can, you definitely will be losing some, some weight throughout. Now you talked about starting an event fully hydrated. Um, so what should an athlete focus on to make sure that they're, you know, properly hydrated at the start line? Yeah. Good question. The, the prevailing wisdom or not the prevailing wisdom, but the, the attitude that a lot of athletes had, and I definitely put myself in this camp, you know, earlier in my career was that in the week before the event, you sort of treat yourself as if you become a camel and you start yeah. just piling water in and we all walk around with the water bottle nervously sipping away because we don't want to start dehydrated. And the, the thing with that is where we can store, for instance, quite a bit more carbohydrate before an event in your liver and in your muscles, if you, if you eat more, with fluid, your body's really good at regulating the amount of fluid in your body. So if you put a bit extra in, there's sometimes a small capacity to be extra hydrated, if you like, but it's very small because if you yeah. just start drinking more, you just start peeing more. Yeah. So what athletes I've seen do all of the time is drinking more in the, in the days before a race, then their pee starts to become quite pale or quite clear. And they take that as a, sign, a good sign that I'm really well hydrated. Yeah. So they keep topping up and they keep peeing and what happens then is you kind of set this this um this circular uh, reaction in where you drink more you wee more 
you lose electrolytes and you actually yeah. can start to the process of diluting your body down a little bit before you um before you even get to the start line so there's a a chap um a researcher dr stavros kavoros who's based in he's greek but he's based in um, phoenix in arizona and he's studied this kind of thing a lot and he studied the spartathon race in greece and took blood samples from the competitors at the start line and was i think pretty amazed to see that 10 percent of them were already showing signs of hyponatremia before the start oh wow which which you wouldn't necessarily well you wouldn't expect to see if you just got a bunch of 10 runners you know a bunch of runners sorry any day of the week and pulled them into a lab and tested their blood i don't Mm. think you'd expect to see 10 percent of them showing signs of hyponatremia so he's hypothesized that actually maybe this is because a lot of athletes are nervous about this race. It's very long. It's like uh, 250Ks yeah. or something. It's extremely hot. What does everyone therefore do? They drink, drink, drink before they start. And, and so the advice generally is, is actually in the days before an event or a big training session, you have got to drink pretty well. You've probably got to drink normally, maybe plus a little bit, you know, so making sure you're not running dry at any point. But don't go crazy. We're talking when we say a little bit, it might be an extra glass or two of water yeah. with a meal or something. It's not like bottles and bottles of water extra. And then in the last 24 hours, what I recommend athletes to do is to drink a very strong electrolyte drink. So something which is at least 1500 milligrams of sodium per liter and have about half a liter of that the night before they go to bed if it's an early start. And if they can, another sort of half liter about an hour before the start, because with the extra salts in that, there's a good proportion of that gets pulled into the bloodstream and held there so that you actually boost your blood volume a little bit and you don't end up just in the queue for the, for the toilets before the race. You know, you actually are sort of super hydrating it a tiny bit, but I think that it's probably more important. That's a good technique, but I think it's more important just to not over drink water that's the instinct and that's what i see so many athletes doing wrong yeah no that's a really good point um and um one question i was having is there any like difference between males and females in regards to um you know the effect of electrolytes and sodium and those sorts of things that's that's an area that um, dr stacy sims has talked about a lot in the fact that during during the menstrual cycle you know at different times then um, female athletes tend to retain or excrete more sodium, which then Mm. affects fluid balance. And we we were quite interested in that uh, because obviously it does, it could, we were thinking, could it affect the the recommendations that we make for for female athletes Mm. during different times of the cycle? So Abby, who's our resident sports scientist at PH, did a bit of reading into it and found that although there's quite, you know, in, in, in what she found, although there's quite a bit of kind of, um, clinical evidence to suggest that this is this is you know certainly not made up there are differences at different times of the month with fluid retention and fluid excretion the the prevailing sort of thought from athletes and a lot of doctors working with them was that this wouldn't necessarily fundamentally change a hydration plan you okay. know the differences are statistical when you measure them but they're maybe not clinically significant in terms of dictating what you would do with with hydration so our view on it to this point has been more to treat athletes whether they're male or female as individual in terms of their sweat rate their sweat sodium composition their rate of loss and look to address it from that side rather than segregating it by male and female so i think 
I mean, we've, we've certainly, we work with a lot of female athletes and I generally find that the prevailing wisdom with them is that they don't massively adjust their hydration plan based on the phase of the cycle that they're in. But I wouldn't, you know, I certainly also feel very conscious about self-conscious about making recommendations in that area because I don't have the, the personal experience to base it on. And so if there are female athletes that find that it, it is it, it does warrant some adjustment throughout the month then i would say that's that's a, a very individual thing that that probably needs to to be looked at on an individual basis yeah no that's fair enough um now another thing caffeine so generally on the morning of a race you'll have a coffee and then athletes often take caffeine throughout a race how does that yeah. affect their hydration levels the again the the prevailing wisdom there used to be that caffeine is a diuretic so it would mm. probably result in a lot of fluid loss and therefore should be avoided or could could be avoided before races but actually what the research tends to point, show nowadays is that if you are someone who has ca caffeine regularly and if you start most days with a cup of coffee or two then doing the same on race day is probably a good idea because actually by abstaining from that you you don't you you sort of get more problems with the lack of the, the stimulant in the caffeine than you do from the fluid retention benefits because as you become habituated to caffeine consumption your level tends to to sit at a point where it doesn't affect fluid balance too negatively so for me I'm, i seem to be like a probably a two to three coffee sort of person if i have two or three coffees i tend to have them earlier in the day if i do that my fluid balance tends to be totally fine if i stray much beyond that and I, I learned having jet lag and drinking more coffee to try and sort of stay alert and stay awake, then I could get into a pretty negative spiral of the diuretic effect taking over and make meaning I was getting quite dehydrated. Yes. So I think, you know, it, it's probably, if you, it's probably a good rule of thumb that if you generally start the day with, with caffeine, then to continue that in races and during races, I don't think it's a problem at all. I think if you use it sensibly, it's a pretty powerful ergogenic aid for a lot of people. Yeah. Now you brought up jet lag there. Um, in regards to say athletes who are traveling to races and we all know how dehydrating airplanes are. I mean, back in the day when we could travel to races yeah. um, and I'm sure we will again. Um, what should um, athletes do when they're on a plane and traveling? Um, yeah, I think that similarly to the sort of preloading thing, if you're, wanting to stay really well hydrated on a plane the first thing is you're going to lose more fluid because of the dry air and the air mm. conditioning and certainly on long-haul flights that can be quite problematic because even if you get on pretty well hydrated you can get off feeling pretty dry if you if you don't top up so i would say water juice and like stronger electrolyte drinks in in moderation are probably the things to drink on board i think part of the other problem with with air travel is for a lot of people that it involves, especially if it's early starts, it involves drinking quite a lot of coffee or mm. caffeinated drinks. People often enjoy alcohol on the plane. Mm. Um, and I know that I've been, you know, with the travel sometimes, especially when you're on, the, on an evening flight, it's nice to get on and have a glass of wine or whatever. But ultimately, you've got to be really, you've got to really moderate that if you want to stay well hydrated, because that will exacerbate fluid loss. And then you're going to be in worse shape. So if you can be disciplined and, you know, stick to, stick to, juice and water and electrolyte drinks then you're probably better off yeah now also um there's a lot of um controversy about what causes cramps so there's the, the camp that says it's lack of electrolytes and others who say it's pushing too hard 
Where do you sit on that one? Right in the middle. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like these polarized viewpoints, yeah. to be honest with you. There's, there's too much of it. And I think that there's, there has been like with the drinking, you know, don't drink, drink as much as you can. With cramping, we've had cramping's about electrolyte and fluid loss. And then we've had this big swing towards cramping's not about electrolyte and fluid loss, it's about fatigue. And there's arguments, very, very strong arguments for both. And I think the anecdotal evidence around people losing a lot of sweat and losing a lot of fluid and electrolytes and getting cramping is overwhelming, especially when you look at then the intervention of giving people strong electrolyte drinks or salt with water to prevent cramps or treat cramps. It often works. It often Mm. works. And we get, we probably get literally a handful of emails every week from you know like customers that have bought our stronger products who've been suffering with cramping in long races who are so delighted that their cramps have either got so much better or gone away that they feel compelled to write to us and and we we sort of love hearing those stories of people for whom it works every year we do what we call an annual cramp survey where we reach out to a whole bunch of customers and we ask them for their experiences, you know, pre and post using drinks, because when they, if people do a sweat test with us or an online test, they have to answer a question about whether they never rarely sometimes or often get cramps. Mm. And pretty much every year we find between 70 and 80% of people that adjust their electrolyte intake make, or make it more aggressive along with their fluids find that it helps with their cramping. And although that's not, scientific and you could argue about all sorts of placebo effects and things like that in there it's also mirrored in lots of other areas in in which we work and we get we hear lots of stories and if you go back into the literature there's tons of stories over the years of athletes solving their cramping problems by managing their electrolyte balance but then if we've got that sort of 70 80 percent of athletes for whom that's helping there is this 20 30 percent for whom this doesn't seem to help and there's also kinds of muscle cramps that come on at, at weird times. We've had Ironman triathletes getting cramps in the swim where there's no way you could pin that on electrolyte and fluid loss. You know, that's something different. We've seen, you've seen track sprinters pulling up with cramps during hundred meters, or you, you do get cramps, which just fail to respond to electrolyte intake in, in races. And I think that all of those things indicate that there's far more to it than that. And I think muscle damage, fatigue, inadequate pacing or you know not being fully conditioned and trained for what you're doing not sort of you know i find i find it can be in an ironman triathlon it used to be for me getting um, cramps on the run was in the quads running downhill after they've been fatigued on the bike and that's probably at the same time as they're so they're getting very fatigued but i'm also getting a little bit carbohydrate depleted i'm getting a bit electrolyte depleted and i think those things interact and if you're someone who's prone to cramps that's kind of a perfect storm so yeah. we've got a we've got a really detailed blog on our website, which is one of the, the most read pieces we've ever written, all about cramping and sort of why it might happen, strategies to try for how to prevent it. So I think if anyone who's listening is is interested in that, we could pop that in the show notes because it's oh, worth a, it's yeah. worth a dig into, and certainly they can reach out to us yeah. if they've got questions about that. Although quite often we end up suggesting to people they try just in their electrolyte intake because of what we do, we're not we're not blinkered to the point of saying this is the only way or this is the answer. You know, there's, there's lots of other things you can try. Sports massage is a big one for kind of sorting out damaged muscles and Mm. stretching and pacing and, and all these kind of things all, all play a role. 
Yep, no, that's fair enough. Um, now, you talked about the online test, which is different to the spreadsheet. Can you tell us a bit about that one? Yeah, the online test started for us because not everyone could get to a physical test center to have a sweat test done. Yet, a lot of people wanted a recommendation on what products to use. So we devised this test and we're constantly refining the algorithm that sits behind it in order to point people to, towards the fact uh, or towards the towards whether they're going to be someone who's got a low electrolyte requirement, a medium, a high, or a very high. So we ask in that survey questions about their cramping history, for example, whether they compete and train in hot environments, how long their competitions and training sessions are, what sport they do, all of that. And that all feeds in and then spits out a recommendation, which kind of says, well, based on what you've told us, we think this is a good place to start with some trial and error. And that, that online test is totally free to do. You can just go to our website and hit the free hydration plan. It takes about two minutes to fill out. And then you'll get a couple of emails off the back of it with some suggestions. And then if you, if you want to refine those or try things out, then you can always email us or jump on a, a zoom call. We've got a, a, a sort of a program going at the moment, especially while people are not traveling so much and we're not getting out and about to see athletes where you can book a one-to-one -one zoom call with, with one of our team. If you've got questions you want to, you want to follow up on. That's excellent. Um, now, I, I've often heard that if you um, salt your food a lot, you'll end up being a salty sweater. Is that an old wives tale or is there some truth to that? <clears throat> yeah, that's a really good question. And it's been researched a little bit and it's the answers are quite inconclusive. I, th I, I wouldn't go so far as to, to put it in the old wives tale category, but because I think at the extremes, if you have a very, very high salt diet, there is some evidence to suggest that it can be it can influence the amount of sodium in your sweat but i think it's it's probably to quite a small extent because the, the way the body regulates sodium is when you consume sodium it goes into your bloodstream and then your kidneys detect and either filter it out if there's too much or they retain it if there's not enough so mostly what you see if you eat lots of salt is you'll probably if you measured it you would see a lot of salt in your urine because you're just okay. yeah. getting rid of it sweating is kind of downstream of all of that but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if you eat tons and tons of salt then you would maybe be able to excrete more in your in your sweat because it's more available to the body and they've certainly shown the opposite is true that if you eat if you completely restrict sodium in the diet to a to a to a crazy extent where you're almost you know mm minimizing the intake completely you can really reduce the amount of sodium in your sweat the, the reason though i think it's it, that's that's kind of interesting physiology but i don't necessarily think it's super relevant to most athletes day to day because very few athletes will eat a super ridiculous amount of salt or restrict salt completely and most of us are in the middle ground where we eat a kind of whatever our normal daily intake of salt is we probably eat a bit more than we need most of the time and therefore we probably pee a bit out but we don't influence it enough to massively deflect our sweat sodium because one of the theories about uh, what drives sweat sodium loss is because so the way sweating works is sweat sweat comes from your blood plasma and your blood plasma is very salty yeah. it has about 3600 milligrams of sodium in every liter now by the time the sweat from your blood plasma goes into the sweat gland and exits onto the skin, your body's reabsorbed some of that sodium. 
So you end up with somewhere between sort of 200 and 2000 milligrams of sodium per liter. And it's thought that this, um, this, this protein called CFTR, which is, a, which activates channels in the, in the sweat gland to reabsorb sodium and chloride is responsible for how much you reabsorb. So for someone like me, who doesn't, who loses quite a lot of sodium in their sweat, it could well be that that CFTR function is kind of blunted and doesn't work very well compared with someone who, who has more efficient sweat glands that can reclaim a little bit more. And so I think the lion's share of what dictates how much salt you lose in your sweat is probably genetic. And then the rest of it is di dictated by hormones and by, um, by salt in the diet, by acclimation status and those things. And, and speaking of salt in the diet, is it like some athletes worth, you know, before a long, hot session or race, eating some, you know, in their pre-race food, something that's a bit salty as well? I would say so. Yeah, I, I certainly think, especially if you're someone who loses quite a lot, or like mm. I was saying before, especially if you're someone who tends to underperform a little bit in the heat, it might be worth experimenting with either a strong electrolyte drink or a bit of salt on your food. And I don't think that will do any harm. I think salt's been very much demonized in yeah in popular um, nutrition, potentially quite rightly for the majority of people who maybe radically overconsume it compared with what they lose. But when you look at the, the basic stats on some athletes, if I go out and train for three or four hours and I'm sweating out even a liter an hour, I could burn through six or seven grams of sodium quite quickly, which is like two or three times the recommended daily allowance if I was to follow the government guidelines. So, I don't think that the, the guidelines for low salt eating are particularly helpful for athletes who are sweating a lot. Now, um, I wanted to discuss another one for you that I, I think is, is, is probably more, is, is definitely, I think, a, an old wives' tale. People who think that they can train themselves not to drink, <clears throat> which is almost uh, reminiscent of that original theory where people said, oh, you don't need to drink. But people actually, I know, sometimes go out for training runs to train themselves to need less fluid. Is that possible? Yeah, I'd say that you, you're right on that one, that largely that's, that's a misconception mm. because your body can be trained to overcome a lot of, or it can adapt to a lot of stresses. But I think that dehydration is, is if you get thirsty, your performance is going to start to degrade. Your mm. quality of your training is going to start to degrade and your recovery is going to be impaired. So I don't ever see a good argument for food going out and training and deliberately dehydrating yourself, especially in sort of hot weather or conditions where you could get stuck out somewhere. It's actually potentially quite a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, no, I agree. Now you also mentioned recovery. How important is focusing on our hydration during the recovery aspect of our training? I think it's absolutely massive in, in hot weather and in, in after sessions where you lose a lot of sweat. That was an area for me where if I, until I sort of got on top of this as an athlete, it really hampered my ability to do things like train well twice a day in the summer mm. or even train hard on back-to-back -back days because I would almost after a long run or a long bike ride, wake up the next day sometimes feeling a little bit like I had a hangover, which was to do with that effect of the dehydration salt loss. Mm. And I think if you, you know, it's all very well getting through one session on minimal fluid or minimal electrolyte intake. And you can probably maintain performance for a while on that. But if you don't then focus on, you know, rehydrating effectively post-exercise, then you're going to go into the next session or the next day on the back foot. 
And that's a big thing, especially in climates where you can be subject to some, like in Australia, where you can be subject to some quite extreme heat waves, which go on for a few days or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's then being on top of that hydration all the time, you know, before, during, after those sessions, very, very important. And, and I think that often it's underrated because as soon as you start talking to people about recovery, they just think protein or yeah. carbohydrate to, to um, restock muscles, both of which are very important, but, you know, getting your blood volume back up and um, sort of retaining your hydration status is, is also critically important because if you, if your blood volume's down, you're going to feel sluggish and you're going to start that next session a little bit dehydrated and then you sort of you're on the path to your performance dropping off yeah and we certainly don't want that um is there anything else any other tips or or interesting thoughts that you would have that their listeners might want to hear i think the main one is that with when it comes to hydration like with many aspects of performance i would really urge people to sort of look at this through the lens of their own experience and, and to think of themselves as an individual there's lots of guidelines out there around hydration and lots of very extreme stories and lots of, we've talked about a lot of them, a lot of oversimplified messaging around hydration. You should just do this. We should just do that. And I think people need to try and block their ears out to that sort of noise and think about themselves as an individual because hydration needs from person to person and from environment to environment are so vastly different. There is no way a simple one size fits all answer can be applied and that doesn't mean that this is all very complicated. It just means that figuring out the, roughly the amount of fluid, roughly the amount of electrolytes that work for you as an individual is your aim. And kind of close your eyes and ears to examples of, of what work for other people, you know, because you might have a coach who's, who's had a, you know, an experience with this. And a lot of very good coaches are, are good at treating people as individuals but I often see sometimes with coaches in certain areas they'll have very definitive ideas because this is what worked for them mm. and I think it, as a as a an athlete if you've got if you're taking advice from someone which is like this worked for me so try this it's like well, well hang on a minute do my characteristics look like yours because if they don't then it's not a great way to it's not a great way to go so I'd say just have the confidence and the sort of wherewithal to treat yourself as an individual in this dimension do a bit of trial and error read up around the subject and inform yourself and if you can get the right amount of fluid for you roughly and the right amount of salts for you when you're doing other races you'll find that you'll re- you know, you'll learn a lot and you'll become very adept at managing it and getting the best out of yourself and if i'd have had one piece of advice you know 20 years ago when i was trying to be serious as an athlete that would have made a huge difference to me and so that, yeah. that would be my main message now. Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. Now, I'll put your um, website in the show notes, but did you want to just tell people, if they're out on the run listening and they might possibly remember, um, just where they, can, um, where they can go to get more information? Definitely. It's precisionhydration.com is the place to find everything about us all. Um, we're a team, we're a pretty small team. There's 10 of us and you can email us on hello at precisionhydration.com. We love hearing from athletes and answering your questions and getting back to you. You can book one-to-one video calls with us at the moment. And I can give you the link to stick in the show notes on how to do that. Um, there's also, we're on all the usual social media places, usually at Precision Hydration. The only one we're not is on Twitter. We're at The Sweat Experts. So you can give us a follow okay. on that and DM us on those platforms if, if you want to. 
in in Australia specifically, we've got a few different places where you can go for a sweat test. So we've got one on the Gold Coast. We've got one just outside of Sydney. Um, we've got one going in in Perth very soon. And and we've actually, if people want to try our products and things like that, we actually ship them from warehouse either on in Sydney or on the Gold Coast. So we're um, although we're a UK sort of parent company, we're we're really you know, putting a good bit of infrastructure in Australia at the moment uh, for Australia and New Zealand, because we know there's a lot of athletes that, that want access to the products. So yeah, everything though goes through precisionhydration.com and, and we would love to hear from you. Yeah, no, well, I've been on the website and I have to say the blog was, was great. So many interesting articles and I did the sweat test and yeah, it's a, it's very, lots of information that athletes could really would benefit from. So yeah, that's excellent. Thanks for that. Cool. All righty. Well, um, thank you so much. I really appreciate the chat and um, yeah, thank you. No, lovely, lovely to chat with you. And um, yeah, it, we'll have to get you sweat tested at some point, I think, Izzy, <laughs> and find out, find out what's going on with you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All righty. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, what did you think? I found it really interesting how important it is to have an hydration plan and to make sure that we turn up to race starts fully hydrated. I've always had a nutrition plan for races and years ago when I won the six foot track marathon I had a hydration plan, but I haven't since then. I think I'm going to get back on it and, you know, see what difference that makes because the more and more research I do, I see how important hydration is, especially for helping to reduce gastric distress. Often I find we sort of leave hydration as as just something, oh, well, I'll just drink when I feel like it. And I think it's much more important than than that and we should give it more, more importance in our thinking of it as well. So also don't forget to check out the show notes to get the links to the articles we discussed and to get your discount code for products. And like I said earlier, if you haven't already, get onto my YouTube channel to check out the video of this podcast. The link will be in the show notes. In next week's episode, I chat with Sean Bell. Sean is an amazing young man who plans to run run around Australia in 2022 to raise funds for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Be sure to check it out. With so many restrictions in place, it's more important than ever to have a structured plan to ensure you maximise your training. Races will eventually return, but in the meantime, there are many other challenges you can find. If you need an individualised plan, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to chat about a training plan. Have a great week of training, stay safe and well, and remember with a little kindness, grace and empathy, we will come out the other side of this mentally stronger and more resilient.